It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Captain John Havlick, uh, uh, retired U.S. Navy, led special operation teams around the world during his 31-year naval career, including the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, the SEAL's most elite operation unit. Captain Havlick was a nationally ranked swimmer and is a member of the West Virginia University Sports Hall of Fame and Mountaineer Legends Society. I'm excited to have him on the show. Please welcome Captain John Havlick. Welcome. Bert, thanks uh, Thanks for having me, having me on today. Appreciate it. You bet. Well, first of all, thank you for serving our country for 31 years. That is a huge amount of time. So thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure. Absolutely. It was, I enjoyed doing it. Well, all right. So let, let's talk about this. Today, we're going to be talking about your latest book. Uh, you co-wrote this book uh, with, uh, let's see, uh, Bill Bill Treasure. Is that right? Bill Treasure? Yep, that's correct. Yep. And the book, and I like this, The Leadership Killer, The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in an Age of Arrogance. And it seems like we are kind of in an age of arrogance. And it seems like, uh, at least in the reality show and, and a lot of the media, it seems like arrogant people seem to get a lot of attention. What's going on? Yeah, I guess uh, drama sells. <laughs> I, I don't get it, but uh, I, uh, it, it just seems that the more cockier, the louder you are, I guess the, the more squeaky the wheel, the more attention you get, and the more people listen to you. Uh, so um, that was kind of a little bit behind the book uh, Bill and I wrote and uh, a little bit of the theme of what we come up with when we were talk, talking about, you know, how are we going to approach this topic and what are we going to look at? Well, you know, what's interesting and the reason that the uh, the title resonated with me when I look back at all of my biggest mistakes that I have ever made, you know, uh, ego, arrogance, pride, whatever you want to call it was there. I mean, I just look back and I'm going, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I just, you know, you start to believe your own press clippings. You start to believe uh, you know, these voices in your head. And before you realize that you're making these mistakes that are going to cost you, uh, you know, possibly a career or a bunch of money or a loved one, or in some cases, uh, people cross the line and it costs them their freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really easy to get enticed or get spoiled by, uh, the power of leadership and, and I case in point, you know, the book, uh, two chapters of it is about my own hubristic fall from grace, so to speak, and how I recovered. And actually, uh, what I learned from it when I reached my rock bottom was, uh, you know, I, I felt I became a better, more effective leader because I had hit the bottom. And when I got the second chance, I was more appreciative of the opportunities that I had. And, and so I took advantage of that. But uh, yes, it's very, very, you know, give you rise up the corporate ladder. You uh, are the promotion ladder, so to speak, you tend to 
And, you know, after time, you're like, well, I must be important because <laughs> they wouldn't have made me uh, commanding officer or whatever, or CEO, however you want to look at it. Right. And, uh, and so, and then more people respond to you. And we often say you get the better office, you get the, the premier parking spot, you know, you get the more windows in the office and more people, you know, kind of at your beck and call to help you out. And you can tend to forget about where you came from, your roots, what got you there. The fundamentals of leadership can, can be swayed towards say, I want more and more because it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let me ask you this. I asked this of, of all the authors that stopped by here and that is what inspired you and Bill to write this book? Well, you know, when I retired, Bill, uh, Bill, I guess the long, long story is Bill and I, <clears throat> the commonality we have is we both went to West Virginia University and he was a diver and I was a swimmer. So um, I met him when he was a freshman. I was finishing up my degree and I was coaching. And so we kind of just formed a bond and, and uh, friends until I graduated and went off and did a bunch of other stuff. And then Bill went off and did his thing. And so we reunited uh, a few years back at a reunion and uh, I, Bill had his uh, giant leap consulting firm and I did some research and I said, Hey, Bill, you should, you know, uh, you should bring me in. Let me tell my sea stories. You know, it seems like the, everybody wants seal stories. So he's been uh, real good and we struck the friendship back up again. And I've been able to uh, sponsor or, uh, <clears throat> Tell, tell kind of my SEAL stories and about leadership. Um, with him at seminars across the country, we've co-facilitated workshops. And so we've built a relation, working relationship over the last few years and a good friendship. And, uh, you know, just seemed like every week we would just share articles with each other on leaders who went, did stupid things that clearly they know they stepped over the line and should have known better. And, uh, you know, Bill just kind of mentioned one day, uh, hey, hey, I'd like to write a book, uh, my fifth book. And I said, well, that's cool. He goes, you want a co-author? And I go, sure. Yeah. So I was like, why not? You know, uh, never thought I'd do it. Um, so I just, uh, you know, that that started the momentum. And then uh, as we started writing, you know, we we went big picture, like we were identifying all these different traits and what's bad leadership and things like that. And and we just kind of over time, uh, every Sunday we would talk and we would kind of whittled it down to, um, you know, what, it, you know, this term hubris kind of in uh, excessive arrogance or self-confidence. And it just seemed to me that um, when we talked about it, that was the character trait that was really the root of all the other ones. And so if you were hubristic, you tended to be uh, self-serving less caring of others, all more about results and things like that. And, and so that was the basis of the book. And, and we wanted to focus it on, uh, because we, hubris was a topic no one was talking about. And even right. when, when the word came up, I had to look it up to make sure that it, I understood what we were going to write about. And, and, uh, but it seemed very relevant at the time. So that's the theory behind, that's how we got together. And that's uh, the basis of the book. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great topic uh, because it is just one of the human frailties of life, right? I mean, it's just one of those things when a human starts to be successful or to start to gain power, however you want to phrase it, that pride seems to creep in. And I think that true leaders 
uh, are able to overcome that that arrogance, that pride, that hubris. Uh, and, and that's why I think sometimes some of our best leaders tend to be older guys or older people, both men and women, just because uh, just like your story. Right. You, so where you, 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 you've been to the top and then, you you know, and, and then we all fall to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we're never so so coachable or teachable as when we're at that bottom place. Well, I think, you know, uh, I think the big thing that I <clears throat> that I found, especially with my story is uh, and I think it relates to a lot of things is uh, when you're hubristic, you think you know it all. And whether you're young, you know, college graduate or a young uh, professional or an older leader, um, over time, uh, you, you tend to think you know it all. And that's when really hubris kind of strikes, because in reality, um, uh, if you're a leader and you think you know it all, you really don't. And so one of the things I learned very quickly was kind of highlighted uh, in SEAL training was, you know, I had to learn from my men, especially as an officer, uh, because they had all the experience and the knowledge that I needed to make the right decisions. And and so that's where I think hubris really comes into play. The most is the leaders who think they know it all. And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now uh, as we face this pandemic. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Um you know, there is, uh, oh gosh, I cannot remember his name now, but he became famous overnight. Uh, is it, uh, I think it's Skrill, Elliot Skrill or Shrill HIV meds and raised the price like a thousand percent from a couple of dollars to like $800 a tablet or whatever it was. It was, it so it made, you know, headline news. And of course, uh, he was, he, he was, he comes across as a pretty arrogant guy. He, he, you know, he says, look, it's my company. I do whatever I want. And, and, and of course, uh, he had not done anything illegal. Uh, definitely some might question the morality of it, but legally speaking, he had done everything, uh, within the bounds of the law. But interestingly enough, like 30, maybe 60 days later, he was arrested for insider trading. Yeah. <laughs> He kind of painted this target on his back and, and, you know, they couldn't get him one way. It seems like they got him another way. And, and uh, uh, but, but that's the kind of arrogance that just really rubs people the wrong way. Well, I, I, I can only speak a lot of it from my military side of the house, but you know, when I, when I got a commanding officer position, the Navy trains you, they send you to school and they, they clearly bring their lawyers in and they, give highlights or lowlights of commanding officers who did stupid things and, and crossed the line and ended up having being relieved from their assignment, which is, I can't think of anything worse in life than being relieved of being in charge. And so, um, but you learn from that. And then I think what really where hubris kind of comes into play is uh, you tend to think that you get up there and nobody's going to say anything or nobody notices and uh, which is clearly uh, hubristic, thought on your part because everybody sees what's going on. Everybody can tell what's going on. And, uh, you know, if it's, if you're crossing the line, you're doing it wrong, then uh, you got to have people who are going to call you out. And, and so uh, and that's kind of what I saw on the hubristic side of the house in the military. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and there's a fine line too, 
John, between confidence absolutely and arrogance because yeah. there are some people who are extremely confident um and and but again there's that fine line which is i think tough to navigate you know you can easily cross it uh but yeah there is that fine line i think that confidence is important uh being arrogant prideful uh, definitely going to lead you down the uh, what is it, the path of destruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you're you're right because a lot of times uh, people will ask me when I'm talking. It's like you know what's the what's the difference? And it there's a fine line there. There truly is. And I think to be successful, whether you're an athlete or a business, you know, whatever profession you're in, to be good at it, you got to you have to have self confidence. And I think there is a and this is what kind of relates to my current doctoral status uh, as a student is uh, I actually think there's some positive traits to hubris that should be explored or researched a little bit more. And that's kind of way I'm leaning my dissertation right now, unless somebody talks me out of it. But, uh, but I think uh, there is, there is a point, uh, you know, and I relate it basically to my time as an athlete, my time as a coach, and then in the seals, you know, uh, clearly there were, there was something that the separated the successful folks from the ones that weren't so successful. And I saw it a lot in SEAL training of the guys who made it through training and those who didn't, you know, there were clearly, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was self-confidence, but it just seemed to this aspect of, you know, just throw it at me. I'll take it you know, and I'll go on, march on and do it, sure. you know? And I think that's, a little hubristic uh, thought and and that's why I kind of leaning towards this positive side of hubris and uh, and hopefully maybe uh, that's my dissertation and maybe my next book, so to speak. We'll see. But uh, well, you know what? And I like that because it is true. I mean, look, somebody with a big ego uh, wants to take on that role. They want to show off the fact that they can overcome this obstacle. So there, there is that uh, that positive side to it it's not all bad uh it's yeah. it's just you know it's it's i think it becomes bad when you put other people at risk or you put maybe your company at risk or your family at risk uh but i think that when you look around you know I, i'm trying to think you know warren buffett comes across as a pretty humble guy but i bet you he's got an ego he is what the fourth or fifth or sixth richest man in the world and and he is by you know he again he I think has a good grip of his ego. Again, I, I've never, I've never seen an interview where he comes across as anything more than a nice guy who's very grateful for his success, but yet, you know, he's Warren Buffett. He's got to yeah. have a certain level of ego. He, you know, he's, he probably knows, he's probably forgotten more about trading and investing than I'll ever know. Yeah, well, that's clearly that that applies to me. So I know uh, I think uh, I think being a good leader, you whether it's confidence or hubris, you have to make a decision. There comes a time when you have to make a decision yes. and then you have to have the confidence to make that decision and hope you're doing it for the right reasons. And so um, but that's and that comes with being a leader. You know, when I first thing I, the instructors told us at, at SEAL school, especially the officers was <clears throat> the guys want you to make a decision. They, you can't waffle. 
you can't put it off. You can't pass it down. You're in charge. You have to make the decision. And I think whether you define that as self-confidence, hubris, however you want to look at it, um, as a leader, you are required to make a decision. And, and so that's, that's the positive side that I look at it, but um, I'm sure there's a lot out there that will argue the contrary to that. So, yeah, so, so I need a lot of data for my research. So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? And again, not not to be political, uh, I, I think that our current president is a good example of, you know, uh, certainly a gentleman who has a lot of confidence. He's not afraid to make a decision. Um, definitely at sometimes he comes across as arrogant or cocky. Uh, and then other times he comes across as a guy who is, uh, uh, being things are uncertain. And so I think people look to that as, as a form of leadership. If, if my leader thinks this is going to be okay, then it must be okay. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, he, he's a, a kind of a live example, uh, to get, you know, to, to help us understand a little bit more about humanity. But let me ask you this. I want to move on. Um, In the book, again, I want to pop this up here real quick. The book is called The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in the Age of Arrogance. So in the book, um, give me your takeaways. Uh, The the three takeaways, um, how to remain humble yet effective leader, because it seems almost, again, that's, that's a tough line to walk. So talk about this. Well, three, three things we offered up, uh, Bill and I kind of came up, uh, were, you know, the first thing and biggest leadership lesson I ever learned was, um, to push away from my desk, to get out of my office and to walk around, talk to my people. And, uh, it was something I learned very early on in my military career was, uh, really the, I started hearing, uh, I was in a leadership position. And uh, I started hearing rumors through the, uh, the I forget what they call it, uh, in the Navy, kind of already done. It's embarrassing. But uh, the rumors was that leadership at this command didn't know what was going on. And I started hearing that. And, uh, and I remember saying that when I was a young junior officer. But now I was in the leadership position they're saying about me. So, you know, how can I make myself more knowledgeable? And uh to know what's going on around the command. So I took an opportunity every week to walk around the command. <clears throat> it was my job to make sure it was spaces were cleaned before everybody took off for a weekend liberty. And I used that time to yeah check for cleanliness, but I also took the opportunity to talk with my people. And it was really, uh, it was hard because in the beginning, um, it was hard for me because I'm kind of quiet took me a lot for me to open up, uh, to put myself, kind of expose myself out there to feedback. And, uh, and it was hard for the people to kind of grasp this, but the, uh, the aspect that I was down there to listen and learn from them, which isn't always, uh, true in a lot of cases. It took time. It took a commitment on my part and I did it every week. And I just didn't do it once every now and then. And, like a checkoff. I did it every week. I made a commitment and I opened myself up and I listened and, and I learned so much and uh, really helped when every time I hear this term cultural change, there were some things that we were trying to implement to cap 
captain, the commanding officer and I, and we use it as a great opportunity to communicate our message, what we're wanting to do, get the feedback from the people actually on the deck plate or the production floor doing the actual work. How could it be successful? What's wrong? What are your two cents? So that was the best thing I ever did. Get out of my office, go down, talk and meet with your people. The second one was, I think we mentioned earlier, if you think you know it all, then you're, uh, you're really fooling yourself. And so uh, another great opportunity walking around was, again, learning what I didn't know. And I, uh, and I was pretty amazed at how much I didn't know. And so I, I took, it, took it as an opportunity to grow and to learn. And, uh, and I think that people appreciate the opportunity to teach, teach the boss, you know, or appreciate the fact that they were asking me my opinion and, and they seem very real about it and, and honest about it and get, got good feedback. And then the one thing I try to highlight in my story of hubris and my downfall was, uh, I got very cocky, uh, after I came out of SEAL training, uh, go, go figure that one. And, uh, and I thought I knew it all and I failed to get a mentor or what they call in the Navy is sea daddy and somebody to bounce ideas off, get career advice, uh, just somebody that could add a little sanity check to the way I was thinking. And I thought I could do it all and it burned me pretty good. And so um, we offer up the third tip is, you know, have a check, have somebody in your life, whether it's your significant other, somebody at work, somebody that you can trust that has that outlet to give you open and honest feedback and to kind of call you out when you're stepping over the line, getting a little hubristic, so to speak. So those are the three things we offer up. Yeah, I like that. I, let me tell you, there is uh, nothing better than to have your spouse <laughs> bring you back to earth. <laughs> yes, or a room full of seals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I learned. I learned very on, you know, as a junior officer, uh, you gotta, you gotta have a thick skin walking into a platoon space full of seals, you know, they, they will call you out in a minute. So yeah. it's very yeah. humbling. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? And, and it's interesting that uh, those three takeaways, those three strategies, if you will, uh, uh, really can be done anywhere by anybody at any time. Mm -hmm. They don't require uh uh really any kind of technology or any, you know, necessarily a, a high level of experience is, you know, your, your willingness to go out and, and talk with the frontline troops or, or just walk through the office and, and find out what people are thinking. What, what are their likes and dislikes? Uh, not only do you find out what people are talking about, but you get to know them. And we, you know, we're, we're as humans go, we, we tend to be pretty simple in the sense that, we tend to like people that are like us. So what better way for people to get to know you like you than to go out there and, and get to know them? Yeah, that was best thing I ever did. And it's something that I tried to apply as I continued on in my career. But it was, you know, I, right up front again, I'll say it's extremely difficult because you have to open yourself up. You have to kind of be vulnerable because you're not always going to get positive feedback. And, you know, you got you to gotta take it in stride. Uh, but in reality, when I made, you know, I think people appreciated the fact that I made the commitment, I was taking my time and that I was going and talking to them directly eye to eye, not, 
in a formal setting where I'm addressing, talking down to people. I was talking with them and at them, you know, and I thought it was, uh, you know, it was very rewarding after a couple months <clears throat> when they, when I would walk into a space or uh, office space that uh, they didn't run away. They they actually stayed and wanted to talk to me because in reality, when the executive officer, which was my job at the time, is walking around the command, it's usually for the wrong reasons. It's never good. But but over time, they learned this as, hey, the XO's here. They knew I was coming down on Fridays. And this was their opportunity to talk and just, you know, and it was great to know them. I shook their hand. I tried to learn their first name to ask them about their families because it was an overseas assignment. Overseas uh, assignments are very difficult on family members. Um, and so the more you know about your command, the more you know about your people, uh, the more appreciative they are and the better job they'll do for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, feeling appreciated is definitely one of the things that makes uh, a group stick together. Uh, I think uh, putting people down and making them feel unappreciated is a great way to dis disband any group, right? Uh, and, and again, uh, I think humility is again one of those things that it's a binding agent, and then pride is isn't you know is definitely something that will separate uh, separate you and separate your group. All right, so you know you you kind of you know. Uh, made this this reference to uh your your specific situation in the seals and in the book you talk about uh really leaving seals if i understand it correctly because of of not being able to to be promoted anymore is that right talk about this yeah yeah it was uh it was very uh very humbling and very uh, embarrassing on my part i had done all the good stuff took the hard jobs thought i was I was uh, doing the right stuff. And uh, because I had a lot, didn't have a mentor and I thought I knew it all, I got very cocky and tried to do things my way. And I probably stepped on some toes and, and uh, upset a few people. And um, I kind of got burned. And so I, I didn't promote twice, which was pretty uh, shocking on my part. And, uh, and I had to get out of the Navy. I had to get out, stop being a SEAL and and that was real hard because uh, I loved, I loved being a SEAL. I loved being in the Navy. I loved, uh, you know, uh, the idea of defending your country is <clears throat> very honorable to me. And uh, so I, I enjoyed my military time. And um, when it was taken away from me, it was, it hurt, you know, and it hit me hard. And so I uh, had to take the time. Uh, my time off, you know, uh, I got to a very dark place and, uh, and I was, it wasn't a very good person. And I started drinking. I started doing a bunch of other stuff, nothing really helped healthy. And, uh, I was, became a bad person. So I'm kind of, kind of figured out what was going on and made it a point to get back in because, uh, I wanted to be, wanted to prove everybody wrong. And I wanted to be a SEAL again. And so uh, it took me time, but it uh, took some time to do it, to figure it through, go through the system, but uh, eventually got it and worked it back out. But it was a huge humbling experience drawn upon because of my own hubristic behavior. Yeah. Well, you know what? 
you know, humbling yourself enough to go back after, again, uh, to no promote, uh, that is difficult. But yet, to me, this is a guy who wants it bad enough, who's humbled himself. He's now coachable. Uh, you know, to me, this is one of the leadership principles that people like to see in, in, in other humans. Well, I got humbled. That was, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was uh, it was a big ego shot to me in the gut, so sure. to speak. But uh, <clears throat> but I learned uh, when I got my second opportunity. I I was so appreciative of being back in the Navy, and uh, and I didn't know how much I missed it until I got out, you know. And but even getting back in uh, every day for the rest of my career. I had to reprove myself and my credibility within the community. So um, it kept me on my toes and it kept me productive, kept me on top of my game. Um, but it was a hard lesson learned and, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody, um, anybody out there. Yeah. The book, again, is called The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in the Age of Arrogance. My guest today is Captain John Havlick, U.S. Navy SEAL, retired. But, John, what's interesting is you don't go by captain. You actually prefer to go by coach. Why is that? Uh, it's a nickname I got the first day of training. Uh, so uh, I originally got in the Navy to coach swimming at the Naval Academy. And uh, and then when I was at the Academy, I, I learned about the SEALs and <clears throat> took the opportunity and uh, contacts there to uh to get my commission and then with a guarantee to go on to seal training after i got commissioned and so the i always remember first day of training uh my uh leading petty officer the most senior guy in our class he was walking around the off officers uh introducing themselves and and he goes say hey, what's your what's your name ensign and i said uh it's coach havlick and he goes well, what'd you do beforehand and i said i coach swimming at the academy and he goes yeah, I think uh, coach is better than Ensign. Is that okay? And I said, yeah, that's fine. And so uh, that carried on, that nickname carried on uh, throughout my career, uh, even as I got promoted and changed ranks and doing the other stuff. Uh, if you talk to anybody who knows me, uh, I don't think they know my first name. <laughs> so uh, traditionally, yeah, most of the people in the SEALs that are still around or know me, know me as coach. And I I responded well to it because I always thought coach was a moniker of respect, somebody yeah. that you looked up to and, uh, and I was okay with it, you know, so guy, whether the guys were calling me coach or a senior leader was calling me coach, I was okay with it. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I can't remember, I cannot remember what company I read about this, but they have changed the name, uh, instead of using the, the name manager or supervisor, they're still, now their title is coach and head coach because their, their culture shift, kind of what you were talking about earlier, that, that, that mind shift is that, you know, that's truly what a supervisor or a manager should be is they're coaching their people up. So they're, they're getting them ready for the next play or, 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 you know, however you want to phrase that. But I really like that the, you know, because as you said, coach is one of those 
those uh, monikers that is both about the leader, that's the coach, and the guy that we love or the girl that we love, that's the coach. You know, so this coach is a very special name and it's not uh, rewarded, if you will, to just anybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, you know, even my coach in college to this day, I, he always says, you know, call me Kevin. And I'm like, okay, coach, but, you know, so I, I can't do it. I just, uh, I can't do it because I know what we went through uh, together and he was a great influencer in my life. So when, when that came into the teams, um, I, I thought it was the perfect moniker. So yeah. if, if uh, I, I was good with it, you know, uh, instructors would yell at me, you know, and <laughs> they wouldn't call me Ensign. They'd, Call me coach, you know, you're, you're, you're messing up coach and other terms, so to speak, right. <laughs> uh, other language, but uh, no, I thought it was good. I mean, uh, a coach, you're there, you, you, you earn that title yes. for a reason and it comes with high expectations. And so to me, it's always been a term of endearment, term of respect. And um, I was okay with it. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about this. Uh, you know, what would you have done differently when you were a young junior officer in the Naval Academy or in the SEALs? Talk, uh, talk about this. Um, I think it kind of comes point to that last uh, last point I brought up about the three takeaways, so to speak, was uh, I didn't – there's really two two answers to that. First one is to be a mentor, kid, find a mentor, a sea daddy, and I think I explained that long enough. Somebody that can give you career advice, or at least a sounding board as you go th go th you know go through life or whatever you're going to do in your profession, whatever profession you choose, have somebody there that you can call upon and will give you honest feedback. And then, uh, God, I just uh, I forgot what the second one is. So. Uh, I think the big thing was I didn't, uh, I needed to, uh, I didn't know everything. And then the other thing I didn't, well, I wasn't good at is I wasn't very good at politics mm. and, uh, and I wasn't smart on office politics. And so I, I quickly found out that the, the strongest, the smartest, the, the bravest, the, um, uh, biggest don't always get it promoted or advanced and I it's often who you know that's how you play the game and I didn't do that very well and I kind of take that back to my swimming background where um, I was just used to you know the you get up on the blocks and your competitors are up there and you have a known race or a known distance and it's usually the person that's worked the hardest or wants it the most that's the winner and uh and I kind of found out uh, very quickly or that I didn't use, I, I just didn't, I wasn't very smart on politics. Right. And so I, I kind of got burned, but again, when I got back in, I got smart on it. I knew I was bad at it and I knew I was weak at it. So I had to get smart on it. And I eventually, um, you kind of learn how to use it towards your advantage if, if, if you're smart about it. And, but it took, it took a real hard lesson to learn to get that. So the two things I would do differently as a, J, as a junior officer was find a mentor and then at least know about office politics. And so Yeah. Well, you know what? And, and, and this is 
this is vitally important. Uh, great tips, by the way. Uh, people tend to promote those people that, again, they know, like, and trust. And you might be the best, but if you aren't well liked, if you're rubbing people the wrong, the wrong way, you just you won't be promoted because, you know, people skills is, in fact, a very important hard skill. Uh, you know, again, you show me somebody that uh, is, uh, I don't know, that carries a lot of influence and you'll see somebody that's got some, you know, fairly good people skills. Uh, they're able to get people excited about their vision. They're able to rally the troops. And and it's, it's extremely important. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I think those are significant. All right. So, um, it, so now you and Bill, or, or is it just you? I mean, do you work uh, now? If somebody goes out to uh, coachhavlick.com and, and people hire you to do what besides speaking, what else do you do? Uh, your- I, I do uh, I do counseling, uh, consultant work, uh, pretty much open. I I don't have a, you know, I'm I'm trying to enjoy retirement, so to speak. But uh, and now that I'm a student, uh, again, that's taking a lot of my time. But uh, I just try to, uh, I think, I, I try to offer up advice, uh, maybe a uh, consulting type work, uh, sure. help you out to think, uh, kind of an outside set of eyes. You know, there's one thing we really, really learn in the military is how to tear things apart. You know, especially <clears throat> mission planning and stuff like that. So I, I like to come in. As somebody, I may not know your business, uh, but I I got a lot of questions, you know, and and uh, and it's always kind of I always think it's very good uh, to bring an outside set of eyes who has no vested interest to kind of what they we would call a red cell it to tear the part to look at the things that not everybody's looking at or maybe afraid to look at and just bring it up so that you know you address them and and know that they're out there. And so I do that. Uh, the big thing I've been doing is a lot of individual co- coaching and counseling, you know, hour sessions on the phone. I just uh, worked with a, uh, a guy up and uh, changed jobs in the IT world. And, and then uh, we talked about him taking over and doing a process of in place. And uh, this pandemic hit and hit his business hard. Sure. But he is still employed because he <laughs> I'd like to think he uh, he uh, did some good stuff. Some some of the things, some lessons we talked about on how to take over and how to show positivity and productivity and even times of crisis. And he's doing real well. So I, I just try to open up, share my experiences, what I did right and wrong. Um, just the bevy of whatever you want. I'm I'm a jack of all trades right now. So uh uh, All right. You know what? And it's so important. I like this idea. This, this to me, uh, again, it's a very, very difficult thing for most people to do is have somebody with a, like you said, a third set of eyes come in and, and start poking holes. Uh, because again, um, I'll just say arrogance. You know, if you're an arrogant person, you don't want your holes poked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't I, want somebody showing you your flaws as opposed to, Back to your three takeaways when you're open to learning, when you want that feedback from your from your peers and and, you, and you're kind of a coachable person, then you want that third set of eyes to come in and say, hey, John, did you think about this? 
what happens if this happens? You know, what if these assumptions aren't true? Then what's your what's your B plan? And that's the difference, I think, between a company that's going to be around for a while and a company that's going to just, you know, crash and burn. Yeah, I, 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 from the outside, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure a lot of businesses have strategic planning. And right. so, you know, long term, uh, and I'm not a businessman, so you can take that for whatever it's worth. I, uh, but I know in the military, and what we learned very, uh, especially on mission planning is we what if our operation to death, you know, so we tried to keep it simple, but we also thought about all the things that could go wrong to the best of our ability and then come up with act, you know, uh, courses of action. If in, in the event that they did happen, you can't think of everything, right? but you can think of some big ticket events that could really mess things up. And so what, what that does in some regards is, it helps you plan for worst case scenario, um, something that, hey, we've already thought about this and this is what we're going to do. And it can respond and then hopefully get out of danger if something comes up and then make the decision, can we go on or do we have to abort the mission? You know, because and as a leader, it was my job to make sure they did that because worst case scenario, if something happened to me and they're left, they have to be able to make a decision and carry on. So I was really happy with the way the military, we planned what if everything to death. And I don't see a lot of that in the business world. And I, hopefully I'm wrong, but right now I don't see that too much. And so that's, uh, that'd be my regard is, you know, plan, look, uh, but what I think would also helps out. Yes. You have to have a thin skin. No, no leader wants somebody coming in, tearing your plan apart when you think it's good. But right. if you have, if you're open-minded, um, you can also reinforce some things that you're doing right. And you can highlight, you, they can highlight that. And so it gives you points to consider. And uh, whether you take it into consideration or not, it, that's totally the leader's call. But I think uh, having an unbiased set of eyes to look at your plan, especially long-term, uh, is really kind of beneficial to businesses for success. Absolutely. John? Uh, we're out of time. I want to say thank you so much for stopping by. The book again, The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in, a in the Age, in an Age of Arrogance. Captain John Havlick, retired Navy SEAL. Thank you so much for stopping by. Looking forward to catching up with you again. Thanks, Bert. Appreciate the opportunity. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you later. All right. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.